some things in life you don't forget, and I have never forgotten that interview. <laughs> and so I, I was, we were talking about that, and uh, I was like, man, I look back, you know, because sometimes I could never figure out exactly what Brother Francis' intentions were, you know. And I thought, man, maybe he just wanted to see how much I would sweat under pressure, you know. Uh, Fifteen more minutes, let's just keep him in here. You know, a Don Seafood Hut with, with uh, kids going crazy and stuff. But uh, we were so, we were so fortunate to, to be able to come here. This church was so gracious to my family and I. Uh, this community was so gracious to, to our family and I. And, uh, and we just really appreciate that. When I drive here, I have such great memories because... Uh, you know, two of my kids, Ty and Trinity, were born here in Lafayette, and Terry, of course, uh, started K-4 here uh, and, and learned how to read. And so anyway, we just have a lot of, a lot of good memories, and of course, Terry's now, he's getting ready uh, to graduate this year and, and to go into college, so time goes by fast. I mean, 12 years, I don't know where it's going. I mean, I look in the mirror, I haven't changed a bit, you know? <laughs> now, some of the men Friday night, but let's just keep going, let's just keep going. But I have, my family had a, we had a wedding that my family attended, so they weren't able to come here with this weekend. But we, I think they have a picture of my family that they want to, uh, want to show. So Terry on the left, he's 17. Uh, Tracy's 29. Um, Trinity is 12. I can't remember my age. <laughs> and Ty is, Ty is 14. And uh, it's the funniest thing, my boys, I'm going to miss my boy. I'm going to miss my kids when they grow up and move away. But we have so much, we have so much fun as a matter of fact, Miss Gloria, she came, Briscoe came up to me after and she's like, what did you do to my boys? Because <laughs> they were so little and she used to keep them on Wednesday nights. And I said, listen, I tried to keep them small, but the gene, I try to keep them in smaller pants. They just bust out of them and have to buy them new stuff, you know. But uh, my boys were always giving me a hard time about things, coming and leaning down on me like, hey, little old man, how are you doing, you know, and things like that. And, but they give me a hard time about Trinity. See, we do have an international church and, you know, many people around the world they still have arranged marriages. And we have people in our church from India that they were in arranged marriage. And so the, you know, the saying that I've been saying is, you know, that's, we shouldn't overlook that. That's not, such a, that's not such a bad thing. It's very successful in many parts of the world, you know. And, and uh, man, people just love and laugh at that and everything. And Trinity's like, Dad, I'm fixing to be 13. That joke is really not funny. I'm like, oh, that's the problem. I wonder why people joke. While people would laugh, I wasn't joking at all. I really think we should keep it in, 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 in consideration. And, but my boys say, man, whenever somebody comes to, to, to take Trinity out on a date or something, we're selling tickets. We're going to pop popcorn, sell tickets, sit back. It's going to be a good show. And I said, no. I said, the persecution, I mean, the interrogation, I mean, the godly talk won't be that long. It's not going to be that, it's not going to be that bad, you know, and, and, uh, it was funny, I heard this, this story about this. There was this Texas billionaire, and he didn't have any sons. He had one daughter, and he, gosh, he had all these businesses and property, and he's, he started thinking, he's like, you know, if my daughter marries a knucklehead, it's going to ruin everything I've worked for my whole life. I mean, every, everything, you know. And so he's like, I, you know, he had a really good relationship with his daughter. He said, babe, can I help you make sure we find you a man of integrity and all that? And she said, as long as I can, as long as I have the last pick and, you know, he has to be good looking and all that kind of stuff. And dad's like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that, okay? So they started looking and they, they dwindled it down to, they finally got it down to 20 men. And I mean, these, these 20 men, they had, I mean, they were, had work ethic, character, integrity, good looking, 
young men all had all this possibility. So they couldn't figure out what are we going to do to get down to the one? You know, we got 20. How are we going to get down to one? And so finally the dad said, you know, there's one last test. He had this swimming pool and he filled it with swamp water and alligators and stuff. And he put them on one end. And he said, you know, courage is the final test. Courage. And he said, the young man that can jump in the pool and swim to me and make it here alive. He said, you're going to get my daughter's hand in marriage and everything that we have. And so, man, he had hardly said that. And this guy just swan dived in the pool, man, just beating. He made it to the other end. He's all cut up and bleeding. And the dad's like, oh, congratulations, my son. Do you have anything you would like to say? He's like, I just have one thing. I want to know which one of those guys pushed me in. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I think we all fathers would agree. He was well within his boundaries as a father. Yeah. You know, he's well within his boundaries. And uh, so anyway, we have, I, I am so grateful. I should open my water. Don't worry, I'm a, I'm a paid professional. Don't, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to make it through. Oh, thank you, Jesus. For See, you're thinking, how can God use this guy? You know, that's what you're thinking. I'm here as a public demonstration that God can use anybody. Okay, let's move right on. I think we have some pictures. We moved there, and, and you know, Brother Francis, uh, when he was pastoring here, he paid my salary for several years to go down there, and then uh, Todd continued supporting, and this church sold a lot of resources into helping us uh, get started there in Sugarland, And I just want to report to you today that we have worked tirelessly for 12 years to build a great house for the kingdom of God there in Sugarland, And, and uh, we, we have, uh, as a matter of fact, next Sunday, we will be going to two services, uh, just like y'all have here. We've just filled up as much as we could do. And, um, but this is the, this is the property that God, that God graciously uh, gave us, 10 acres of property. And then about four and a half, five years ago, we built a building and uh, just a metal shell of a building. Then a few years later, we were able to uh, brick it and rock it and, uh, you know, make it look much, uh, much nicer. And uh, so I really appreciate it. If you're ever in the area, come by, come by and, and see us. And I want to, I didn't do this in the first service, but I just want to, I just want to say that you know, I have, I have learned, in my opinion, one of the most important things we have to have to make a difference for God, we have to have perseverance. And I'm telling you, the 12 years I was there, I, I've probably experienced the worst services that I've ever experienced. I mean, we've had four, four people and two of them didn't want to be there. You know, I mean, anything that you can possibly imagine in starting this church, you know, I, I assure you that that, that I went through. One time we had a VBS thing and we had all the kids march around with instruments and they left an instrument on the front row and I had a, had a toddler. They didn't put her back there in the room, beat that tambourine the whole time I'm preaching and I'm, I'm wrapping up and the deacon went up and to take it away from him. And I'm just like, don't worry about it now, bro. I just preached for 40 minutes and they're beating the tambourine. Don't take it, you know, don't, don't end the torture now. And, uh, but I, I am telling you, that there were times when I felt so unsuccessful. There were times when I questioned, God, are you going to help me? Am I doing something wrong? What's going on? But I'm telling you 
I think the biggest mistake we make sometimes is we don't continue just to get up and do what God has asked us to do. We don't just keep pushing on and persevering. And many times we don't allow time for the fruit of the Spirit to start to develop and grow in our lives. So what I want to do before I share a message with you this morning, I I feel like there's some of you here that are going, maybe you're having a, a, a tough time in life. Maybe you're wanting to quit on that marriage. Maybe you're wanting to quit pursuing a dream that God has given you. And I just want to declare today that if you keep persevering, if you will keep pursuing what God has you, I am telling you that God will help you do the impossible. I am telling you God will help you do incredible things. So what I want to do, I want to pray for you here this morning. And and just seriously, if there's some of you here today that say, man, I am in a tight spot and I, I just, I just, I want, I want prayer that I will have the perseverance to continue following God. I want to take a moment just to pray for those. Would those stand that, you know, if you have that right now, you obviously, um, you don't need to know, is he talking about me? You know it. Just go ahead and stand. I want to pray for those. Would you just raise your hands with me this morning, those that are standing? God, right now, I just declare that you are putting a spirit of perseverance in your people today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus by faith. Lord, you're, you're, you do the impossible. Lord, you call things that don't exist as though they do. And God, by faith right now, I call businesses to prosper in the name of Jesus. By faith right now, I call finances to turn around. Right now, I call relationships to be restored and redeemed. God, right now, I pray that the spirit of encouragement would invade this auditorium this morning. God, I pray that the spirit of encouragement, Lord, would fill our hearts and minds. God, I pray that no one would quit due to discouragement. Lord, we know that your word promises nothing to quitters, but your word promises everything and benefits to those who persevere. So right now, by faith, I release miracles in the name of Jesus. By faith, I release the word of the Lord today. By faith, I pray that dreams are coming true today in the name of Jesus. God, I just declare by faith. Lord, and I pray that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, that we would not be naturally minded people, but we would be spiritually sensitive people in the name of Jesus. God, give us dreams and visions of you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I I promise you this morning, as I stand before you, If you're following a word from the Lord, if God has told you to do something, I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what people think about you. I'm telling you, God will help you. It was, uh, we were, you know, we were, we were building this church and, and, uh, or trying to, you know, you have people that come, they say, oh, this church isn't going to make it and they leave. And, and I'm telling you. Every, I, t- I joke with my wife, every day people drive by our property and they're like, I can't believe they made it. Goodness gracious. Let me tell you something. I was, we had this property and for four years we, could not, we couldn't get any, any financing. We couldn't get anything to build a building. And uh, I, I had a mobile, 
I had a mobile, a modular building. This is how high tech we were. We had a modular building out there on the land for a church office. Didn't have a restroom, didn't have anything. Had to, he had to go to the restroom or something. He had to go down to a store just sitting out there serving the Lord, doing the best I can. And uh, at a time when I was so discouraged, uh, just kept pressing through. And later we built our building. One day I had this couple come into my church. And I had met him years before, but I hadn't had really any contact with him. And, uh, you know, they said, um, they said, Pastor, we just want you to know that you have inspired us to do great things. I'm like, well, I'm not sure how I did that. They said, listen, we started this business and it didn't look like it was going to make it. And every day we would drive by your property and they're like, look at that guy out there. His car is out there and, you know, he has a makeshift office. That guy actually believes that God's going to bless them. They're going to build this great ministry. And it's like, man, we, we looking, you know, you start having services out there. You start building a building. We drive by the parking lots full. He said, I, we, just wanted, we just want to know that every day when we drive by this church property, we are encouraged and by faith we believe that God can do the same thing for us. When you live a life of perseverance, I am telling you, you just don't know who you're inspiring. You don't know who is watching. You see, the world is watching us. And sometimes we don't need to give them a five-point sermon on how to be saved. They need to see the fruit of salvation in our lives. They need to see that God prospers His children. They need to see that the hand of God can draw us through anything in life. And I just want to encourage you here today that this perseverance thing, it's better than talent. It's better than ability You have to have perseverance to do great things for the Lord. All right, let me shift gears this morning. And uh, if you will, I'm going to have you turn to two scriptures. And then I'm going to read those and talk about those in just a minute. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. If If you will turn there this morning. I want to share a message with you this morning called God's Greatest Desire. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am kind of a bottom line person. There are two types of people in the world. There are bottom line people and beat around the bush people. Bottom line people get straight to the point. Beat around the bush people never find the point, right? And uh, you're one one of those two right there. Uh, If you're not a bottom line person, you're probably married to a bottom line line person because, you know, opposites attract. And, uh, and I, I always think when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm studying, when I'm praying, I'm always asking, God, what is the bottom line? Of, what are you trying to say in the word? What's the main purpose here? What's, what, what's the bottom line here? Because if I'm supposed to teach people how to grow, if I'm supposed to live as a model for spiritual growth, you know, I need to know what your bottom line is. I need to know what the bottom line is, these spiritual principles, so that I can teach them, uh, you know, to our people. And so then I start thinking, well, if I have a bottom line, God has a bottom line too. And so I started thinking, I wonder what God's bottom line is. I wonder what God's greatest desire really is. What, what, what is the number one desire of God? Why did God start the earth? Why did he do all this anyway? What is his greatest desire and then I started thinking about this more. It's one of those little revelations that cost you a few weeks. You know, you just start thinking about it. And the more you think about it, the more that comes. But, you know, we have an adversary out there, the devil. 
And gosh, I wonder what the bottom line is of the devil. I wonder what the devil's greatest desire really is. So today I want to take you on a little journey uh, through the scriptures. And, and the end result is we're going to find out what God's greatest desire is. But at first, I want to expose the devil for who he is. He's a liar. He's a thief. We want to expose him as the fraud that he really is. And then we're going to move on to learn what God's greatest desire is. If you will, you're in Isaiah 14. And uh, this clearly tells us what the devil's greatest desire is, what the devil's bottom line is. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. That's the original text there says Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You set in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit. And so in, the, in theological realms, they call this the, the five The five I wills of Satan. He says, I will ascend to the highest point. I will raise my throne above God. And really by saying I will, really what the devil is saying here is my will. When you see, when you say I will do something, really what you say is my will or my desire is to do this. So we see very clearly that the devil's uh, goals and, and purposes here in verse 12 I'm sorry, verse 13, it says, you said in your heart, that's the motive of the devil. In all of the five I wills of the devil, of Lucifer, they all have to do with going up, with being exalted, with elevating himself, with being seen, being put above others. And so here's the devil's greatest desire. He wants to be God. He wants to be lifted up. He wants to be exalted. He wants to be worshipped just like God. He wants people to see him and to view him. And if we're honest with each other, all of us in this room, before we develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, our original nature is just like this. It's selfish. It's carnal. And we always desire to be, to be looked at, to be noticed, to be exalted. And, and I'll prove that to you this morning. Uh, if you take a, the next time you take a family photo and you have, you have uh, all these kids and things, uh, when you show them, when you're looking at the proofs, everybody wants a different proof because everyone wants the proof in which they look good. Right? I mean, why is if you look at there, if, if you look good and, you know, and, and uh, you're standing just the right way and if you sucked in at just the right time and all that kind of stuff, if your husband looks like a goof, you don't care, right? Oh, that's a good one right there. That's a good one. So I have, I have three kids and a wife, so I don't look good in any photograph. You know, I just, I just lose out. It's, it's Tracy and Trinity, and then the boys and I, we just kind of get, you know, we kind of get the leftovers. But isn't that funny? We all notice ourselves first, right? And my, my middle son, Ty, you really don't, you really don't meet Ty, you experience Ty. Okay, that, that's the only way I know how to describe that. And so he, he's a big kid, he's a football player, and, and depending on how he cuts his hair, if he grows his hair out, he kind of, 
he has a white afro is kind of what he has. Just beautiful curls and locks and all, all this kind of stuff. Oh, let's please strike that from the statement that I said he had beautiful curls, okay? But anyway, so he go, comes home from football practice. He said, hey, Dad, man. I'm telling him, hey, how's your day going? Oh, Dad, it went good, man. I, you know, I think I took my best football picture today. Oh, yeah. I said, did you see the proof? No, I hadn't seen it. It'll come in a few weeks. Well, how would you know? With what information do you know that you took a good picture? He said, Dad, I was sitting there and I had a mean look on my face and had my helmet right here. And just before the photographer snapped the picture, a puff of air wind came up and just lifted my hair. (laughs) Really? That's where we're going, son? And sure enough, on the wall in my hallway is that exact picture. (laughs) So anyway, but my point is, is that it's real easy for us to focus on ourselves. Jesus was the exact opposite. People would come to him and all these crowds and, and, oh, Jesus, we love your teachings. And what did he say? I don't say anything unless the Father says it first. Oh, Jesus, we love your miracles. We love everything you do. I don't do anything unless I first see the Father doing it. And Jesus always reflected. He always deflected attention from himself back to the Father. He was always Father-focused. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. You know, the church would be a different place if the people lost that fleshly selfishness. Churches would be different if our main goal, no matter who got, who got the glory, no matter who got the attention, if we were solely focused on doing the Father's will, if we didn't care about anything other than doing the Father's will, I'm telling you, the church will start to reach people that they never thought possible. The church will start to do things and win communities like we never saw possible. I, I was raised in church. My, you know, my dad was a pastor, so I was, I, I, I'm not sure I can't quantify this, but I think that I was born in the lobby of a church. You know, I don't know that, but I think perhaps I was born out in the lobby and they just wheeled me in for second service, you know. I was raised in church. And so I know this. I have been in churches all over this country. And I'm telling you, every problem that a church has is due to selfishness of the people. Every time there's a board problem, every time someone says, well, you know, I just don't like. I never realized how selfish people really were until I went out and planted a church. I've had thousands of people come to my church and tell me, you know, Terry, we love your church, and man, we love your preaching and all this, but man, if we come here, we're going we're gonna to have to really get involved in work, and if we go down the road, we can just kind of come and go as we please. Really? Well, God bless you. Go somewhere else, you know? But I, I'm just saying, I've seen it all, and I'm telling you, if we get this principle, and we are supposed to model Jesus, if we can do that and start sending the focus back to the Father The nations are ours. The communities are ours. Our biggest problem in the church is ourselves. We get over ourselves the Spirit of God. You're talking about that song, talking about freedom? Oh my gosh, when you lose the selfishness, the freedom is going to come. Miracles are going to come like we've never seen before. Verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. I'm going to go to Ezekiel real quickly. But let me first go to verse 11. It says, It says, all your pomp, pomp is pride and a swelling, has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps 
And I, I just want to note here, we're talking about this in a minute. The original Hebrew there, it doesn't say harp, it says stringed instruments. So we're, we are going to, we're going to get there in just a minute. Now turn with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 11 through 18. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lamech concerning the king of Tyre, and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. The ruby, the topaz, the emerald, the chrysolite, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. I want, to, I want to note there as well, the original Hebrew says, instead of your settings and mountings were made of gold, it says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. We'll come right back there in a minute. You were anointed as cher- guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you, Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out, of, come out from you, and it consumed you, and, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Now, it talks about a guardian cherub angel here, and uh, just a little side note, there, there are three archangels named, uh, listed in the, in the scripture, and archangels are ruling angel. And I believe that each one of these archangels rule over a different aspect of the church, when, it, when it's referred, when it, uh, the three are Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Michael has always, is always seen answering prayer in Daniel chapter 10. He rules over prayer. Gabriel is always bringing the word of the Lord. He brings it to Mary, to Joseph, to the father of John uh, the Baptist. And he rules over the word of the Lord. And Lucifer, past tense, ruled over the worship in heaven. You may say, well, Terry, how do you know that he ruled over the worship in heaven? Well, I point out two times, Isaiah 14, 11, and it talks about the stringed instruments in Lucifer. Ezekiel uh, 28, 13 talks about the workmanship of his timbrels and, and, and pipes in the original. And uh, what, we, what we find out is that these timbrels, that's, that's a tambourine or, or a percussion instrument, uh, the pipes would be wind instruments. And then, of course, it said he had stringed instruments within him. So Lucifer, a uh, created being of God, God created him with these instruments in his body. All the instruments fall into three categories, string, percussion, and wind. Of course, wind is divided into brass and reed, but you blow in it. So Lucifer had all three of these instruments created in his body. He was the worship leader of heaven. We're going to get back to that in a minute. Now, if you go into verse 16 and verse 18, it talks about uh, his widespread trade, Lucifer's widespread trade, or his dishonest trade. In the original word in the Hebrew there is our word for, for merchandising. And this is what merchandising is. 
if, if I work at a clothing store, if I'm a salesman for a clothing store, and a guy comes in and buys a suit for, for, th- for $300, then what we, what we find out is this. I'm supposed to take that money and put it in the cash register. The boss pays me. But what, we, what, what merchandising is, is if I skim some off the top, I keep some. I keep some of the $300. Let's say I, I keep 50 and I put 250 in, in the, um, the, the box there then that is called merchandising. I'm taking something that doesn't belong to me. I'm skimming off the top. And it says, this word here says that, that God caught Lucifer merchandising. And so here it is, God, that Lucifer is the worship leader of heaven. He's leading all of worship. And one day Lucifer, because both passages talk about the pomp and the pride of Lucifer, how he became swollen with pride. And as he's leading worship, worship is supposed to pass through Lucifer, and return to God. He's in charge of leading worship. But one day, because of his pride, Lucifer, he says, you know what, I think I'm going to keep some of that worship for myself. Keep some of that for myself. And of course, God says, that is not going to work. You know, you're out of here. You're out of here. That is, you know, that's not, that's not going to work at all. Not because he was jealous. God is, God is not jealous. But the, but the bottom line is, is that only one person is worthy of worship, and that's God Almighty. Amen? So let, let's talk about this. Lucifer was created with all these instruments in his body, string, wind, percussion. And uh, did you know that you and I were created with all these instruments in our body as well? We have string instruments, our vocal cords. They're strings. Uh, that wind passes over the strings of our vocal cords to produce sound. And song. And of course, we have percussion instruments. And here's the way that I think it went down. I think one day, you know, when God confronts Lucifer, he's sinned. He's like, you can no longer be worship leader of heaven. He's fixing to kick him down. And remember how prideful Lucifer was. And I believe something like this happened. I believe he said, well, yeah, well, God, who's going to lead worship for you? Look at me. I'm, look at me compared to the, the other angels. Who is going to lead worship for you? Who's going to bring glory to you? Who's going who's to lead the heavens in worship? And I, and I believe God to prove a point to Lucifer. I believe God to reach down, picked up a handful of dirt. He fashioned it into a man, breathed his spirit into man and said, that's my new worship leader right there. That's my new worship leader. I can take the dirt and bring glory to my name, Lucifer, just in case you want to know. Now, let me, let, let me go and talk a little bit further about this because, you know, I think sometimes it's real easy as God starts to use people that pride and arrogance moves in. And anytime we let pride and arrogance move in, we disqualify ourselves from the kingdom work. And I find it amazing who God can use. Just as Lucifer was quite shocked who his replacement could be, some dirt from the earth. You know, I think, I notice sometimes that I am shocked at who, at who uh, God, who God chooses to use if we allow pride and pomp and arrogance to swell in our hearts. So if you want to know the greatest desire of Satan, his bottom line is simply this. He wants to be worshipped. Everything Satan is doing is trying to steal your worship. And uh, he's called the God of this world. So if we, if we put anything on the throne of our hearts beside God, we in fact are fulfilling the greatest desire of the devil. 
And, and, and I just find it very interesting. Uh, I haven't been here in a long time, but I've been all over the country and the world, and I find that it doesn't matter if you go to Lafayette or to Houston or to Austin, Texas, or wherever you go, people struggle with the same things. And I have noticed that Christians, people who love God, really have a hard time at times putting Him first. We put cars first. We put hobbies first. We put relationships first. We put careers first. We put all these things ahead of God. And what I want you to know this morning is if you're doing that, if, you're, if anything is on the throne of your heart besides God Almighty, you in fact are fulfilling the greatest desire of the devil, which is to avert your worship from anything else. That's the greatest desire of the devil. Now let's, let's move on. What is, what, is, what is God's greatest desire? Well, it's not to be worshipped. He was being worshipped before, before we, were, we were created. So if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of time and find out uh, what God's greatest desire is. Now, while you're turning there, let me let me say something, and I'm going to uh, maybe perhaps say something that's not grammatically correct, but it's the way that I know to get you to understand something. When God wanted something, talking about creation, he spoke to what he wanted it to come from. Okay, and now let me take that a step further. He spoke not only to what he wanted it to come from, but also what he wanted it to be sustained by and what he wanted it to return to. Okay, think about this. Now, to create something, because we're fixing to read the account of creation, to create something means you form something out of nothing. And I hear a lot of people talking sometimes, a lot of humans, a lot of people talking about how creative they are. They're talking, they're talking about how, how creative people are, how artistic. But human beings, we don't have the capacity to create something. In this room, you have never created anything. You've made something because to make something, you take something that exists and you fashion it and you form it. But, but creation, like for example, let's take pottery. If you said, I, may, I create pottery. Well, to create pottery, you'd have to say, okay, let a pot appear. And after it appeared, you painted it and formed it. But we make pottery. We take clay and we fashion it and form it and paint it and all this type of stuff. So God has the only, is the only one that has the ability to create something out of nothing. Now, let me say this. In the account of creation, God created some things out of nothing, but he also made some things. He took something and he made something out of it. So let, let me show you this this morning. Genesis, let's first look at the things he created. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the earth and the heavens out of nothing. Genesis 1.3, it says, and let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated light from the darkness. So we see here that God just spoke and he created light out of darkness. But then we see that God made a lot of things at, at, creations, in, at creation. In verse 11, let's look at the plants here. Verse 11, it says this, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation and seed-bearing plants and trees on the land to bear fruit with seed in it. So notice, God didn't say, Let there be vegetation, let there be trees. He said, Let the earth produce. Why is that? Because God wanted the trees, He made the trees, 
to come from dirt, to be sustained by dirt, and one day to return to dirt. If you go down to verse 24, we find that God said, let the earth produce uh, animals of all types. And animals, they were made, they came from the earth. They are sustained by the earth. And one day they will return to the earth. And you say, well, Terry, why, 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 is, why is this so important? Why are, you, why are you rambling on about this? Because when God wanted you, he spoke to himself. Genesis 1.26, that we were created in the image of God. God breathed the life into us. And so when God, when God, when, when God made us, he made us from himself, from the, from the spirit of God. And we, 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 were, we were made from God, taken from him. We're to be sustained by God. And one day we're, we're to return to God. And some of you are going to sit right here and say, no, no, I came from the earth. God fashioned me from the dirt. No, your body came from dirt. It's sustained by dirt and one day will return to dirt. But your spirit, man, came from the breath and the life of God. It needs to be sustained by God. And one day we are going to see God again. So we have, we have to understand. We have to understand. Now think about this. What if the plant said, I don't want to be sustained by the earth. I'm going to go it on my own. I'm pulling out. Now, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. You know what sounds even more ridiculous? Is when man, who was created from the breath of God, the spirit of God in our bodies, when man says, you know what, I'm pulling out, God. I'm going to go it on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need you anymore. I don't want to be sustained by you. I don't want to follow your laws. I'm doing it on my own. And that brought death. And praise God that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus back into the world that after we had rebelled, after we had messed up, he said, son, I want you to go make things right. And Jesus came into the world. He, he lived a sinless life. He gave himself willingly on the cross so that our spirit man could be redeemed and restored back into right standing with God. Amen. And so praise God. Now, let, 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 let's, let's keep on. I'm getting excited about that, but let's keep going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to either land this plane or crash it really quick, okay? So just, just, just stick with me. So when God, we've talked about how God created Adam and he gave him his spirit and all this. I want you to think about this with me because a lot of people don't think about what they read in the Bible. Think about this with me. God creates Adam in his image and places him in the Garden of Eden, and there is no one more like God than Adam. Think about that. He, he has the breath of God. This is Adam before, before he sinned. Adam talks with God. He walks with God. He thinks like God. I'm not saying that he was a God, but God gave him the cognitive ability to think and to reason. And if you, if you take that line of thought, you get to the place where you say, well, gosh, if he's created from the image of God, then he also has the same desires of God. Now, we're talking before sin, okay? Before sin. I see some of you looking at me. Think about this, though. Think about it. Did Adam have a desire? He did, right? Adam did have a, he did have, have a desire. Um, Adam was having a great time in the beautiful garden God had created for him, but he was missing something. We find that he was missing a companion, and what he was missing, his desire was for a bride. Well, how did God know 
that the only thing that would satisfy Adam was a bride? Because God has a desire too, the bride, the church, who is coming back for without, without spot or wrinkle. And, but the thing is, how did, God, how did God know that? Why didn't God give Adam a football? I, I mean, the, the Friday night event with the men, I, you know, Brandon was telling me, we're going to throw these footballs out and the, these guys are going to go crazy. And I'm like, okay. I, I have never seen so much excitement from grown men <laughs> from these <laughs> the footballs being thrown out there, right? Well, why didn't God give Adam a football? Why didn't God give Adam a TV and a remote control? Because God had a desire for a bride, and he knew that the only thing that would fulfill Adam was a bride. So the end result, what is God's greatest desire? God's greatest desire is you and me. His greatest desire is to have a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with all of us. The God of the universe who had everything, he didn't need us, he wanted us. Amen? He wanted us. And I just want to tell you, tell you today, I don't, I, don't, I don't know a lot of you, but I know this. I know this. God has a desire for you. He has a desire for a personal, intimate relationship with you. And if you're in this situation today like the plant was, and if you've decided, I am pulling out, I am going it on my own, then I can tell you one thing with great certainty and faith. You are a miserable person. I have talked with thousands of people, and I, I, I talk to atheists, and I talk to agnostic people who try to convince me how happy they are and how fulfilled they are without God. And I just look at them and say, you're not fooling me. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it at all. I look at your life, and it's a train wreck. And the only way that train wreck is going to get back on the tracks is if you are sustained by the person who created you, and that's the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, I, I know that in a, in a room with this many people, I know that there's two groups of people. I know there's probably a few of you today, and there's probably a few of you here today who have never met the, the Creator the person who made you with his very breath. There's some here today that have never initiated a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today with, with, with great certainty that the only way you can have a successful, happy life, the only way you can fulfill, you can fulfill your, your desires and, and, and fulfill the things that God is putting you to do is if you meet the creator of heaven and earth. So in a minute, we're going to have, as a matter of fact, the, the prayer team can come on up. And if you're to here today and you don't know Jesus, please do not leave without, knowing, without meeting him. There, listen, there is nothing that's happening this afternoon that's more important than that. Well, I'm going to rush out of here because i got to go to lunch. i got to go watch a football game. That football game is not going to make you happy, right? There's nothing more important than this. The second thing I want to do is, and listen, I'm here and I'm just... I'm just laying down a challenge today. I'm laying down a challenge. There are people here that, that have been Christians for a long time, and your priorities have slid. Your priorities have slid. And, and, and if you look at me today, you say, 
Terry, I know that I, I have put other things to the throne of my life. I have put money or career or relationships or my children. I have put them on the throne of my life instead of God Almighty. And I just want to say if that's you today, we need to make that right. We need to turn the ship around because, in fact, if you're worshiping creation, if you're worshiping anything other than God, you are, in fact, fulfilling the greatest desire of the devil.